Turn your Bible, please, to the book of Matthew. In Matthew 26, or 27, rather, we studied this morning in Sunday school. Beginning in verse 33. When they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted there, he would not drink. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Now turn over to John chapter 17. John chapter 17. Let me give you this interlude. We've come now to the last week in the ministry of Jesus, the earthly ministry of Jesus. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. To as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Jesus had met in the upper room. He had observed the Passover with his disciples. And incidentally, this is the Jewish Passover week. Historically, it is the week that Jesus was crucified. That week is always different according to the moon because the Jews somewhat had their calendar linked to the moon. And that's the reason Easter is moved every year from March to April and April to March and so on. It has to do with not a definite date on the calendar, but with the Jewish Passover. And Jesus observed the Passover with his disciples in the upper room. And then at the end of that, he instituted what we know as the Lord's Supper. And he took the bread and broke it and he said, this is my body, which will be broken for you. He took the cup And he said, this is my blood in the New Testament. Earlier, or a little bit later that same night, in Gethsemane's garden, he had prayed, Lord, if it could be your will, let this cup pass from me. Now the cup at the Last Supper and the cup in Jesus' prayer were symbols of the cup of sin that was poured out on Jesus on the cross. We take that cup at the Lord's Supper, the cup which symbolizes the blood of Christ. We recognize that this is a symbol, a memorial. No prayer can make that the actual blood of Christ or the bread, the body of Christ. That's called transubstantiation, and it is not taught in the Scripture. However, that cup does symbolize the blood that Christ had to shed for our sins 
For without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. Almost all things are atoned for by the blood. And without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. And so in Gethsemane, Jesus prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Then they came to arrest him. But there's a very important phrase or, or phase or, or period that is not well defined as to when it occurred, but during that time, we have the 17th chapter of John, the prayer of Jesus. Sometimes we call the model prayer the Lord's Prayer. That's in Matthew 6, Our Father which art in heaven. That is the model prayer taught to the disciples when they said, Teach us to pray. But the Lord's Prayer is in Matthew 17. And in that prayer, He was praying for us. Let me give you a little bit of it, beginning in verse 15, 17, 15. I pray not for the world. I pray that thou shouldst take them, I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they also may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved me, hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Now there are three words in this section of Scripture I want to lay on our hearts this morning as we think of the theme that the world may know. Number one, the word sanctify. Look in verses 15 through 17. I pray not that thou shouldst take them out of the world, but that thou shouldst keep them from the evil. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. The word sanctify means to set apart. It doesn't mean sinless. It doesn't mean holy in the sense that we're without any kind of sin. It means that we're set apart by God. And Jesus said this sanctification takes place through the word. And in Romans we read, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. And without faith, Hebrews tells us, it is impossible to please God. So faith comes by the word. And when we invite our friends to come and hear the word of God in Sunday school or church, we're really doing them a favor. When we go to their homes and knock on the door and are friendly with them a few minutes and then just share what Jesus has done for us, 
and what he's done for us, he can do for them. We're doing them a great favor. God tells us to do that. And God has chosen that method to sanctify those who will believe. That is, set them apart for God. Everyone within the sound of my voice today who has had a new birth experience has been sanctified. Now, we used to have the idea that sanctification means you wear a high collar and long sleeves and a long dress and and, uh, no jewelry and no makeup. If you look like that, then you're sanctified. Well, that isn't what the Scripture means. A person can observe that, and many people do, and it may be an emblem of their godliness, but that is not an emblem of sanctification. The Muslims, especially the ladies, wear scarves over their head, and they cover their body, and they're very modest, but they're not sanctified to God. You're not sanctified by the outward form, but by the inward form. And Jesus said, Father, sanctify them. That is, set them apart for God. And beloved friend, if you've been to Jesus for the cleansing power, and you have been washed in the blood of Christ, and you've been cleansed, then you have been set apart for God. And you were remembered in the prayer of Jesus. We're not sure exactly where this took place. It may have been in the upper room. It may have been in Gethsemane. But it was the prayer of the Lord just before he was arrested and just before the terrible, ignoble trial and the cross. And so that first word is so important. Sanctify them, Lord. Sanctify them. Set them apart for God's use. Now turn your Bible to Titus chapter 2 and look at verses 11 through 15. Listen to this. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us. Now, the grace that brings salvation teaches us. If you can say, I'm saved, but there's nothing inside that teaches you what this says, then it's very questionable whether you're saved. Because this, uh, the Holy Spirit said through Paul, This grace that brings salvation teaches us. What does it teach us? Well, notice verse 12. Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Now, the sanctified individual who is set apart by faith in Jesus Christ for God's use, that person is taught from the inside, not necessarily from the preacher, not necessarily from mom and dad, though mom and dad play a big part in teaching godliness to their kids, but teaching us from the inside to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. Now, why does, why does the grace of God have to teach us that? Because by nature we're sinners. We enjoy sin. Sin is fun. If sin were not fun, nobody would sin. Sin is fun. There's a thrill in it. And so the Holy Spirit, when he comes inside, teaches us to deny that. Jesus said, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. The denial of self is not necessarily denying certain things in Lent. 
like you don't eat any ice cream or you don't eat any bread or you don't do this or that or the other. That isn't what is meant by denying yourself. Denying yourself has to do with denying your own whims and your own desires and say, I'm going to desire what God wants. Where does that come from? The Holy Spirit. The church can't impose that on anybody. I heard a girl one day say, well, well, I'm going to go to a different church. The church that I go teaches you're not supposed to dance. That's the reason I don't want to go there. can't impose that on you. That has to start inside of you. The Holy Spirit of God has to teach you that. Denying ungodliness and worldly lusts. Where do you learn that worldly lusts are wrong? Well, pulpits ought to preach it. There's a woeful lack of that today. Moms and dads ought to teach it. But for the sanctified person, the person who is set apart for God, that teaching comes from inside. If you're saved, the Holy Spirit does that. And Jesus said, sanctify them, Father. Set them apart for God's use. Did you know, friend, if you're saved, you're sanctified. You're set apart for God's use. Now, you can defile that. It's just like when a husband marries a wife, when a man marries a a lady. Listen to this now. Get the parallel. He's sanctified to her. He doesn't belong to himself anymore. He's sanctified to her. And when she marries him, she's sanctified to him. They no longer belong to each other. Now, you don't have to follow that. Our world is filled with men who are supposed to be sanctified to a certain woman and they go out and lust after everybody they can. They're, they become whoremongers. And the world is just as filled with women that do the same thing. Defiling their sanctification. Sanctification means set apart for. And at the marriage altar, when you gave yourself to that man or to that woman, you said, I will be loyal and faithful until God by death shall separate us. If you break that, that's between you and God and that one that you promised. A lot of breaking of sanctifications today. Same thing's true in the spiritual realm. When you give your heart to Jesus Christ, you're set apart for Him. You're set apart for God's use. And the Holy Spirit inside begins to teach you to deny ungodliness and worldly lusts. And then he goes on a step further, not only the negatives, but he said that we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. And so, the one who is sanctified is set apart to God. Turn your Bible to 1 Corinthians 6, beginning with chapter verse 9. Chapter 6, verse 9. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, 
nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Look at verse 11. Mark it in your Bible. And such were some of you, but you have been washed. You are sanctified. You are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. That tells the story, doesn't it? And so Jesus said, Father, sanctify them. Set them apart for you. And I believe God answered the prayer, God, the prayer of Jesus. Amen. So you and I today who are saved are sanctified. We're set apart for God. Now I think we ought to dress modestly, but sanctification doesn't have to do with the outside. It has to do with the inside. When the inside gets right, the outside will be right. Homer wrote a Hebrew used to leave, lead the congregations of America. If your heart keeps right, if your heart keeps right. And when our heart is right before God, other things will be right. Now secondly, I want you to look at the next point in this. Beginning in verse 20, chapter, John chapter 19, verse 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall be leave on me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. I want you to notice that we're the subject of his prayer. You and I. He said, I don't pray just for these that are here, these 11 disciples. I pray for those that they will witness to. And those that are witnessed to will witness to others. And the gospel will be spread around the world. And I pray for those gathered at Glendale Baptist Church on Sunday, March the 24th. I don't just pray for these disciples here with me. I pray for all of those. And the prayer is that they may be one. Now, what does that mean? You hear much today about the ecumenical movement where the Methodists and the Baptists and the Episcopalians and the Catholics, and they all unite together. They call it an interfaith movement. That isn't what he's talking about. He's talking about that we might be one with Christ. <laughs> Paul over and over again spoke of in Christ. We're in Christ. We're in Christ. That isn't with the ark of safety. In the days of Noah, Noah preached 120 years. And when the rains began to come and the floods came up, the water that buoyed up the ark destroyed those that did not believe. But those that were in the ark were safe. And in the writings of Peter, he says, the like figure, even baptism doth also now save us. What is the like figure? The ark. When you and I are in the ark, we're in Christ. We're one with Him. This is not necessarily talking about some kind of physical unity. It's talking about spiritual unity between my heart and God. So that when I become a Christian, I need to be aware all the time that I am one with Him. If I go to the store, Christ goes to the store. If I take a drink of liquor, Christ takes a drink of liquor. If I smoke a cigarette, Jesus smokes a cigarette. If I am immoral, Jesus is immoral because he is in me. Christ in you, the hope of glory. For to me to live is Christ, wherever it is. And Jesus prayed, Father, 
I pray that they may be one with me. He's not talking about the Catholics and Episcopalians getting together. He's not talking about the Baptists and the Methodists getting together. Nothing wrong with having meetings sometimes. We agree on certain things. But Baptists have a distinctive. There are certain things we believe. We're not going to adulterate that by saying those things don't make any difference. Do you know that people have died for baptism by immersion? Felix Muntz was one of the early reformers. He lived in Zwingli in, in uh, Switzerland. And Zwingli was one of the other reformers and, who was Arminian. And he taught baptism by sprinkling and baptism of infants. And Felix Muntz took a strong stand against that. And he said, my Bible teaches that I need to be immersed. And when I see people get saved, I need to immerse them, baptize them. Because that was the way Jesus was baptized. It teaches the death and burial of Jesus and the resurrection to walk with Christ. It teaches that one day I'm going to die and be buried, but just like God raised Jesus from the dead, I'll be raised with him. They bound Felix Muntz hand and foot, took him out in the middle of the Lamont River, held him over the bridge, and they say, now you recant what you've been teaching or you'll be baptized for good. And Felix Moon said, I cannot deny what the Word of God says. And they threw him in the river, bound hand and foot, and he drowned for the doctrine of baptism by immersion. There are certain truths that are very, very, very important. I pray that Glendale will always be the Glendale Baptist Church. Let's not take the name off the building just to get more people. Jesus said, I pray that they may be one with Christ. Not some great big umbrella that covers everybody, but that we may be one with Christ. You read that carefully. I've heard sermon after sermon. I've read book after book that say that teaches that we should all, all Christians should be united under one umbrella. That isn't what that teaches. It says we should be one with Christ. Now, I have no objection to the fact that there are Baptists and Catholics and, and members of the Disciples of Christ and Church of Christ and, and Catholics and others that are all saved. I know that. I don't have any problem about that. I, I know some saved uh, Catholics. I know some saved Church of Christ people. I know some saved Methodists. I know a few saved Baptists. But you see, we're not saved by the nomenclature or the title. We're saved by grace through Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. Now, any church that teaches there's some other way, I don't believe we ought to line up with them. We need to pray for them, try to win them. But this scripture is teaching that we may be one with Christ. And I want to ask you today, are you one with Christ? Do you get your directions from Jesus or from society? Do you decide what to wear because of the latest Hollywood movie or because of what you read in True Confessions or some silly magazine or do you get what you wear by reading the scripture about modesty and godliness? The way you behave, the way you live, the way you practice your morals, is it the way the Bible teaches or is it the way everybody else is doing? We're living in a loose society. 
Just do whatever you want to. It all comes it just, just naturally. If it feels good, do it. Now, that isn't what Jesus taught. And so this scripture is saying that they may be one with Christ. That Christ in you and you in Christ. The third word, and I'll be finished. Look in verses 18 and 19. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. The word sent. Jesus sent his disciples into the world. He said, I don't pray that they should get out of the world, but that the world should get out of them. And they go back into the world and tell others about Jesus. We're sent to win others. Our bus pastors went out yesterday, labored a lot of the day to invite people to Jesus. Last Thursday night, we had about 20 people going out soul winning to invite people to Jesus. During this special campaign, we've had people sign up folks to be here next Sunday to get them under the Word of God. That's what Jesus told us to do. I sent you. As my Father sent me, so send I you. So send I you to labor unrewarded, to do what God wants, to rescue the perishing, lift up the fallen, tell them of Jesus, the mighty to save. The great world's heart is aching, aching fiercely in the night. And God alone can heal it and God alone give light. And the men to bear the message and to speak the living word are you and I, my brother, and the millions that have heard. And Jesus prayed, Father, I send them to tell others. That's the commission of the church. Go ye into all the world, make disciples of all the nations. As the Father has sent me, so send I you. He that believeth is not condemned. And in 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. That's God's plan. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the word of God. These three words that say so much about the prayer of Jesus, that the world may know, so that the world may know we're sanctified. We're the subject of Jesus' prayer. We're sent ones into a world that is weary with sin. Use this, Father. We pray that from this congregation this morning you would draw somebody who has never been saved to Christ. That others of us would walk closer to you and yield our lives to the will of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand, please. What are we singing? 154, Jesus is tenderly calling. 154. As we sing this hymn of invitation, would you step out for Christ? Would you do what God wants you to do while we sing? Will you come?